In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. This morning, I got an email from a member of Opus Dei who asked for prayers. As his origins are in India, he asked for prayers for a conference center in New Delhi, promoted by Women of Opus Dei. The reason is that the government, the local government, want to take over that conference center for prisoners who need to be in quarantine in order to be tested for the COVID. Those women have really worked very hard in order to have this center. They do a great job there and now this work is made impossible by a government decision. Of course, I cannot judge in how far this decision is unavoidable, but with a bit of goodwill, you can always find other solutions. And I ask myself, why, Lord, is this happening? Why do people who really do their best, why do they receive so much resistance? Why is it always so difficult? Of course, this is not a huge mondial problem, but I think we all have so now and then this idea that there is a lot of injustice, a lot of evil in the world. Also, when we talk with people who are not Christians or have no belief, often they come with this reproach. If there is a God, if Christ has saved us, why is there so much evil in the world? There is not much, there is not easy to give an answer to this. Faith helps, helps a lot, but it doesn't always give a complete or definitive answer. The only answer from a Christian perspective is that we have to trust God. Because God is our origin and God is our destiny. If we could arrange, organize our life by ourselves, then we would be like theists who know that our religion is God, but for the rest we can save ourselves. And I can understand that God must allow situations which are not easy, but which in some way help us to trust God, to know, Lord, I cannot do this. I really have to abandon myself in you. Today, no, not today, but this coming Sunday, 
we will read one of those parables of the Lord. Jesus himself was a carpenter, but he uses often images from the agricultural world in order to explain his kingdom. I suppose he does so because the origin of growth, the seed, is not made by man. Also, the kingdom of God is not a kind of a bulwark, is not a huge machinery, but it is something that starts almost invisible and then is growing. Growing in a way you don't really understand. Now, of course, after 2000 years, we know much more than, let's say, the people in the time of Jesus knew about growth. But nevertheless, the growth of life and life itself is a big mystery. And it is as if Jesus uses this experience of mystery of life and growth of life to explain his kingdom. I read this parable because it can help us also to give answer to this question of evil in the world. It says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. In the commentary we read, this wheat, cockle, looks very like wheat and can easily, easily be mistaken for it until the ears appear. If it gets ground up with wheat, it contaminates the floor and any bread made from that floor causes severe nausea when eaten. In the East, personal vengeance sometimes took the form of sowing cockle among the enemy's wheat. Roman law prescribed penalties for this crime. And indeed, if you depend for your sustenance, eh, for your life, eh, mainly on the harvest, then your harvest is completely gone. So, I continue reading. So, when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the householder came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then has its weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them, that both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, gather the wheat into my barn. So here, in some way, Jesus gives a kind of an explanation, of course in the form of a parable, of the existence of evil. We sometimes have the impression that there is more evil than goodness. Maybe even in your own life, you discover, yes, I want to do good things because of my education, because of my faith, but at the same time, when I look at the concrete things I do, I must come to the conclusion that most of the times I do not do what I should do, but I do what I like most. And we know 
our duties, our obligations are not always that what is most attractive. It can be working, it can be wake up on time, it can be being available for the others, it can be changing plans. It's not always easy. And then we look around and we see, of course, it is also a very subjective impression because when you read the news, most of the time you read what goes wrong or that what is spectacular, what is normal you don't read about. So it can be that it is an impression that there is a lot of evil in the world. But at the same time, objectively, yes, people suffer a lot. We heard some days ago about someone, a young numerary in, I think, in Chicago or somewhere in the States, who was shot in the back by two guys who wanted to assault him. You would ask yourself, why do people do that? In many families, quarrels, fights, people don't speak with each other. Or in companies, the colleagues cannot get along with them. So yes, there can be a kind of a sense of an overwhelming evil. But think of what we read in the Bible. So often God shows his power through disproportional means. Let's say it is the experience of King David, but David still as a young boy. David, a shepherd boy, without sword, without military training, against Goliath. A huge guy, a giant with a huge sword. Invincible. And nevertheless, David wins. Or you have in the book of Judges this interesting story how Gideon had to battle the enemies of Israel. It was a huge army of the enemy and he had not many people. Well, he had people, but God said, no, I don't want you to go eh, to combat those, uh, the enemies with so many people because then you get the impression that you did it. You won the battle and I want to show you that it is me who wins the battle. So at the end, there were like 10,000 people. At the end, what he does, he combats the enemy with 300 people so that they really know it is God. So God's strength often comes in human weakness. So I think that is one of the reasons why sometimes God allows evil in order to show that he with little, with un, say unworthy means, can win the battle. Think of the Roman Empire in the time of Jesus, very powerful. And they feel threatened by a group of Christians, by a fisherman from Galilee who came to Rome to preach salvation. And they saw it as a threat. The Christians didn't know nothing special. They had no army, they had no big buildings to influence, nothing. And nevertheless, they feel the threat. And of course, in the, man, in the eyes of men, all these martyrs were like a defeat. The Christians didn't defend themselves or couldn't defend themselves. And nevertheless, you see here is a triumph of love. So on the one hand, it is important not to forget that the power of God is through love, not through violence. And on the other hand, when we feel powerless against eh, all the injustice, all the violence, 
all the evil, all the hatred. In some way, God gives us the opportunity to feel what Jesus Christ felt. Because Jesus, in his human nature, felt, of course, all the evil in a very intense way. He felt it more than we, because he, know, he knew and he knows what's going in the heart of people. And sometimes, indeed, you get a glimpse of the, you can say, huh, the, the suffering of Jesus Christ, when, for instance, he rebukes the Pharisees. You brood of vipers. Jesus really feels indignant. Huh? They're those people, the leaders, they give such a bad example. Jesus suffers. He's not angry, but he suffers. And we, when we in some way have to experience eh, the evil in the world, it is a great opportunity to feel what Jesus Christ felt. And then also to come to the conclusion, violence, fighting back with the same means, and it can be lying, it can be cheating, eh, is not the solution. The weapons of the Christian is always love, and love makes vulnerable. It makes depending. When Jesus speaks about this evil man who comes, an enemy has done this, of course he speaks about the devil. Because the devil is the only real enemy of our Christian life. And therefore, in our Christian life, we have to count on the influence of the devil. It is true, we have not always complete control over our thoughts, things pop up, etc. But at least we can decide to reject or to consent with certain feelings or, 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 or thoughts. The devil can play with our memory, he can play with our fantasy or imagination, but it is up to us to deal with that. And you can say, Lord, I don't want this, this idea. I don't want to give in to this negative thought, thought or negative judgments against people. But the devil can always yeah, throw up dust, spoil a good mood by reminding you eh, of what you did in the past. Or just eh, take away the enthusiasm for the good things. So we have to count on the influence of the devil. The enemy man, as Jesus speaks about in the parable, was not visible when he did it, probably in the night, as so often happens. Today I read somewhere that in, in the States again, they uh, destroyed an image of, of Jesus. They, uh, they cut off his head or they paint things on, on statues of saints. That doesn't happen in public. So the devil often works in secret. In the beginning, you don't know it. You don't see it. You don't feel it. But there are things then, it can be little things, ideas, bad habits, delaying, for instance, things, procrastinating things, that in the beginning doesn't feel very bad, doesn't feel very, uh, very interesting or very, very, uh, very serious. 
But little by little, like the weed, it grows and then it spoils the good weed. It spoils the harvest. Jesus gives also here a kind of an explanation for the fact that God allows evil things. We cannot directly, immediately say this is bad and we have to, uh, we have to eradicate it. Sometimes it is indeed difficult eh, to know if a certain idea or a way to behave, if it is okay or not okay. Eh? God gives us also a certain freedom. But then later on, when things grow, you realize this was not okay. And it can indeed be, let's say, eh, a typical thing we all have to struggle against, eh? procrastination. You can sell procrastination to yourself or to the others as prudence. Don't overhaste things. Think a bit more. You know what? Tomorrow. Or in Spain, it sounds so nice. Mañana. But the mañana, the tomorrow, can often be cowardice. And if you procrastinate always, you become a kind of a coward, to say it very bluntly. And then whatever there is a challenge, a difficult thing, you always say, no, later, later, later. Why? Because you don't want, you don't have the guts to decide eh, something that can be difficult. And maybe that is the devil who suggests to you, you know what, mañana, tomorrow. Or indeed, you have to know what's going on. But there is a huge difference between good knowledge and curiosity. In Latin, there is a difference between curiositas curiosity and studiositas, and it is eh, a sincere desire to know what's going on, eh, to go eh, deep and to know eh, what, how man is, what his human nature is, what's going on in the world, eh, to have an oversight. You can say that is eh, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, of wisdom. Or think indeed eh, of uh, laziness, and laziness, we can, eh, uh, we can excuse it by saying, well, I need my rest. I cannot always be uh, under tension. Or no, eh, this, this I spoke about this critical spirit. And maybe you think, well, you have to know what's going on. Or I don't want to be naive. Or justice must be done. So I have to know that this guy did the wrong thing. Or so many other things, you know, you have to focus, you have to focus. But what you call focus may be self-centeredness. And so there can be a lot of things. And we have to, yeah, it's not easy, therefore we have to ask yeah, the Holy Spirit for light. It is the, we have to ask the Holy Spirit for light to discern what is the seed of Jesus, his divine word, or what is the abuse of the word of God, yeah, that is the devil. The devil always uses, or better said, abuses the word of God. Think of the temptations of Jesus in the desert. The devil doesn't come and say, do evil, do evil. You say, eh, if you are the son of God, eh, or if you trust the Lord, eh, jump from the roof of the temple and the angels will get you. So it is an abuse of the word of God. Therefore, it is so important to be sincere. And indeed, if we want to uh, make the right choices, 
it is very important to be sincere. Jesus, in a certain way, when he speaks about eh, the harvest, he tells us about the last judgment. When the last judgment will be, we do not know. Jesus speaks about it. But now after 2000 years, eh, so many people thought now is the end of times and they were all wrong. But when Jesus speaks about judgment, it is for us eh, the, particular, uh, the particular judgment. It's the moment that we have to render account to God when we die. When you're young, eh, you don't need to think about it each day because eh, you can expect that you have still a long life before you. But on the other hand, in order to make the right choices, in order to avoid this, let's say, structural procrastination to do things later, 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 it is good eh, to think about, okay, if I will be judged today, eh, what would I regret? I remember, I don't know why I remember it, but eh, when I was uh, a, a young member of Opoise, I did my first summer course, and I was together with, with other people in a house for several weeks. And uh, the second or third week, I, I thought, well, someone did something wrong. And I said, well, maybe he has to be... Uh, I, I can tell him eh, that what he did was not okay. Yeah, and I spoke with someone about it, yeah, what we call a fraternal correction. I said, yeah, I don't do it. Yeah, tell him, tell him. So I, I wanted to tell him, but I delayed one day, another day, another day. And so the moment was the, day, was the last day. And he left, and I've never seen him again. That is many years ago. I don't think that this guy was suffering because he was not corrected. But there are moments, or you do it, or you can forget about it. So yeah, think about judgment. How would God look at me? And God, God is compassionate, he's merciful, but at the same time, because of your human dignity, you don't want to be treated like a loser. Oh, poor guy, he didn't know anything, he, uh, he never could do anything wrong. No, no, eh? we want to be proud children of God. In some way, what helps, what St. Rosemary writes somewhere, is we want eh, to make God, in as far as you can speak in this way, we want to make God happy with showing him eh, our efforts to do the right thing. So that when we are called by God eh, to appear before him, eh, to be judged, that God has said, wow, I'm very proud of you. So have this love, have this good pride of a child of God to make God happy with all the good things you do. But therefore, you have to be sincere. That means eh, everything will be open, everything will be transparent. And therefore, if it is your case, if you discover this, do things in such a way, speak in such a way that you have never anything to hide. What you tell the people. I now remember, it comes up in me, that uh, John Paul II, before he became Pope, he was bishop in Krakow, in Poland, in a time that the communist, uh, gov the, the communist government had a lot of influence. They always were spying on the Catholics because they feared them. And the, uh, the, the bishop, without knowing it, he was always... Um, he had, a, well, they had put, the communist had uh, put a, a secret microphone in his confessional. Of course, with the microphone, you don't see who is confessing, but you hear what the bishop is saying. Because they wanted to find a way to accuse him that he was against the government or whatever. They never could find anything. Why? Because he was spiritual. 
because he didn't complain about the bad situations, but he encouraged people to take their faith seriously. Of course, I do not know what he said, but the fact that the communist government, who were always chasing the Catholics, they couldn't accuse him of anything or criticism against the government. Well, that is impressive. That means he was completely sincere. He never had to say something that later on he would regret or hide. So let's try to be sincere. When we are sincere, we are like children of God. Then another moment eh, what we can do in order to prepare for a large judgment, eh, that is the examination of conscience. Eh, For those of you who are already in contact with the work and you learn about plan of life, you always hear about examination of conscience. That can be always, that can be each moment of the day, but normally you do it at the end of the day eh, to look back and to see how things went. And then indeed, eh, you can say, well, I had proposed, I had proposed myself to do this, to do that, but you know what? Again, I delayed. Or I uh, was willing to do this or to do that, but at the end, no, no, uh, no, I had not the energy. Or I wanted to do a modification, I, I thought I had to pray or to, to connect with someone, at the end, again, it didn't go. What a pity. But you have to know it. Because only when you know it, you can ask for, for forgiveness. Eh? You can make an act of contrition. But if you, you think away those things that are not going well, you cannot make progress. A simple example. If you want to lose weight, but you never eh, measure your weight, how do you know that you're losing weight? Well, it could be that you eat less, you eat less, and then someone says, oh, you're losing weight. Okay, well, happy. But if you really want to know eh, how much uh, weight you're losing, you have to know it, you have to measure yourself. St. Josemaria writes in the way, examination of conscience, a daily task, bookkeeping, never neglected by anyone in business. And is there any business worth more than that of eternal life? Let's take our spiritual life seriously. He also writes, At the time of your examination, beware of the devil that ties your tongue. The mute devil, they use it. They used to say it. Well, indeed, sometimes we can live in a kind of denial. Yeah, people think so and so, but they're wrong. Or not wanting to acknowledge that you have your certain weaknesses, or that there is a certain pride, or you always, eh, when you talk with people, you always want to have the last word, or you cannot stand that people know it better. Yeah, so there is a lot of eh, denial in, 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 in self-knowledge. And it's good eh, that we know that. And therefore it's so important eh, also to receive help from others eh, in the spiritual direction. But before I speak about spiritual direction, a last point in the way about this examination of conscience. It says, examine yourself slowly with courage. Isn't it true that your bad temper and your sadness, both without cause, without apparent cause, are due to your lack of determination in breaking the subtle but real snares laid for you cunningly and attractively by your concupiscence? Sometimes there are these little things we don't want to get rid of, 
and that makes us sad, that makes us in a bad mood. Well, if you notice eh, that without apparent reason eh, you are in a bad mood, see eh, what you have to say no to. So, I spoke about eh, spiritual direction. Very important. I was thinking eh, in, in, in things of sport. I think most of us agree that uh, Messi is the best player, the soccer player in the world. Eh? If you think Ronaldo is also okay. Eh? But both have trainers. Both have trainers who are guys who don't play soccer as well as these guys. And nevertheless, they can say and they should say things to these guys. To talk about tactic, what they could improve, what they should avoid. And of course, eh, if you are a guy like Messi, eh, you have a lot of experience and a lot of authority, you, yeah, you know a lot, that is true. But it is always good to have someone who sees you from the outside, who sees you objectively. I remember many years ago, I was not here in Canada, uh, I told someone, a colleague priest, that he used a certain word often. It could be well, or I, don't, I don't, can't remember what word it was, eh? or eh, or you know, or whatever. And I told him, I said, no, 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 I never say that word. Oh, really? Well, you know what? Record yourself. And he recorded himself and he shamefully said, wow, I never knew I always said it were well, well, or, or you know, a kind of, or like, like, like. So we need someone who looks at us in an objective and loving way and corrects us or helps us to improve in certain things. And therefore you have spiritual direction. If not, you become your own guide and it's very easy eh, to, to, uh, or to be too strict with yourself or to have the wrong perspective of the wrong targets or just to be too indulgent. To say, well, you know, it's a difficult, you know, tomorrow or next week or uh, this is difficult. You need a trainer, you need a physiotherapist for your spiritual life. So therefore, when Jesus speaks about these parables, growing, enemy, take it seriously. Because what Jesus said 2,000 years ago is still the living word of the Lord. Let's ask Mary, who knew Jesus so well, that she helps us to understand the word of God and to put it into practice. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.